Welcome everyone to episode 27 of Popcorn Peeps, the podcast in which we venture through the Hollywood Reporter's top 100 films of all time and give our thoughts along the way. My name is Jordan Costa. In this episode, we will be discussing the 1974 Western comedy Blazing Saddles, directed by Mel Brooks, starring Cleavon Little and Gene Wilder. This film was awarded a place in the U.S. National Film Registry in 2016 and won at the BAFTAs, the Writers Guild Awards, in addition to receiving multiple Oscar nominations. But to preface this episode, I would like to acknowledge that we are four white dudes about to evaluate <coughs> if racism <coughs> is okay. <coughs> for the purposes of comedy white dudes and sarah three white dudes and sarah <laughs> thank you jordan okay <laughs> dudes okay i want to adopt dude as a gender neutral term so we can all be dudes good luck with that yeah have fun no so, thank you oh my gosh okay three dudes and one dudette okay <laughs> I just wanted to point that out just so people are aware of who we are if they have not seen a video version because of course audio podcast but without further ado I'm here to break down burning burning saddles in my notes I'm here to break down blazing saddles with the sheriff Chris McMullen howdy the gunslinging Craig Moore yeehaw and the nefarious Sarah Alexander hey partner so what are your first impressions of blazing saddles honestly the more I sat on this the more I understood how it made the list. I get it. I think this movie is great. Yeah. I am interested to hear your opinions on this because my opinion on this movie was it was all peaks and valleys. There were some great jokes that made me laugh really hard. And then there was a lot of crap that just went nowhere and wasn't entertaining. There was very little crap. There's not one second in this film that made me laugh. Not one joke. It would make me laugh if the only thing you laughed at was the Broadway scene that all of us hated. <laughs> That would make it perfect. You love theater, Chris. Not all theater. <laughs> I thought Blazing Saddles was a really funny movie, and I would argue that it's the funniest movie on our list so far, going above movies like Airplane and Ghostbusters. The shock factor alone, you get the rug pulled out from you right at the beginning, you lose your footing, and then Brooks and co. just hit you with punch after punch. They don't pull anything back. And quite frankly, it is very fucked up. But I think arguing that what it does is ineffective is kind of a fool's gambit. It's hilariously absurd through its writing, but that's how it identifies how absurd racism is in the first place. The black people in this film are the most normal people, and then the white people are batshit crazy. Like when they're in Rockridge and they need a sheriff, they would rather contend with Lamar's goons than have a black man protect them. And it's so outlandishly insane. I think it's so obvious what the intention here is to point out how dumb racism was and not play into racism as it's okay or anything like that. I agree, Jordan. I think you have to look at the time too, obviously. Like this came out 10 10 years after the Civil Rights Act was passed. And so we're watching this now and I'm sure the mood that back then was like, oh my God, I can't believe the use of the N-word. Like, I'm white and I'm not that bad. I don't do that. But then it calls you like, what aren't you doing though? Like, the N-word is just a word and it's easy to get inflamed about it. I would never use it. But what else are you doing to better the world? Because if you look at 2016 to 2021, not much has changed with racism in institutions. And I think that's what this movie made me think of is that it's so easy to get upset over a word, but we're literally doing nothing else. But it makes you feel better because like, oh, I don't say that. Look at those idiotic white people in this movie. My point was that we still just get inflamed about the word, but we've done nothing really since 1964 to be more inclusive within our institutions. But this is an easy target for white people to get upset about. I agree. And even though people aren't really using the word anymore, I don't think the situation has gotten that much better for minorities, like in terms of how racist people are. I think people are just more closeted about it because now it's less acceptable to be overtly racist. But I really think global mindshare isn't really that different. 
No, and so you can laugh at it in the movie and be like, oh my god, like these moronic white people, they're awful. But it's like, what are we doing? Like, sure, we're not using that in our vocabulary, but what else are we doing in our day-to-day life to move that goalpost? If anything, at least this is bringing attention to an issue of of inequality. Yeah. Even if you watch this in 2021, it's going to start a conversation about equality, racism in a modern context. And that's, that's more than a lot of content. That's why I think it's the best comedy is because not only do I think it's funnier, I think what it's trying to say is of value even years later. Like, it stands on its own. Like, Vankman in Ghostbusters was crude Because that was what was viewed as cool or relatable or funny at the time. But years later, time didn't side with that. Whereas this, I feel like time really has sided with it. Like it still has a meaning. It can still prop up a discussion. I'll put that with the caveat of that I think it handled maybe black race relations well and that is where I drew the line Um, Mel Brooks and red face didn't cut it for me I thought that was super cringe it was almost regressive on its LGBTQ plus platform and then I also didn't like that it went into the usual trope of the sexualization of black men like oh she loved him because he had a huge dick like his personality or that he was nice to her. I agree. I feel like it's really unfortunate that it brings up this interesting discussion about racism, but then you have all of this backlash against the LGBT community. Okay, let's talk about this movie. Can we talk about the movie for five minutes? Do you want to talk about the movie, Craig? Yes. I think you guys are asking for a lot more from a comedy movie about cowboys and Indians. Like, holy smokes. The way I, I watched this movie was I tried to watch it as a comedy. And there was some pretty funny moments. My favorite joke in the whole bit was after the sheriff kind of got tossed around by the, you know, called all kinds of names, told to get the hell out of here and everything by the citizens. And Gene Wilder's sitting there and he tells him, like, you have to understand these are poor Americans, the unformed clay of the West, you know, morons. I thought that was hilarious. That was a really good joke. They they led you up, you know, built you up and then hit you with a good punchline. But there were so many jokes in this movie that were like 20 minute long walks for a weak punchline. That was not true. Most of them were so snappy. Are you really? Because we watched a German woman stand up and sing okay, that for we like all agree five on. minutes that went nowhere. The ending to the movie. That's the only The part. ending to the movie was a joke that seemed like they just didn't know how they wanted to wrap it up. So they were like, I guess we just put them in a car and drive away. A lot of the jokes were boring. (laughs) They was all build up with no payoff. To me, this was just a mean-spirited, lowbrow, offered nothing. Not once did I crack a smile. Not once. It was insulting. And this is funny. The highbrows at Warner Brothers when they watched this also did not laugh. But when they took it down to everybody who worked in the office and screened it, everybody laughed. So maybe you're just more highbrow than us, Chris. Jordan and I are just two plebs here. He has tickets to the opera, Sarah. We've already established this. (laughs) There was a very long scene where the bad guys were all lining up to sign their name in the book of who's going to join the posse to go wreck Rock Ridge. And it was long. It was a long scene showing you every example of of a garbage human being that there could possibly be. And there was no punchline. The punchline was the sheriff and his deputy knocked out a couple of KKK guys and almost got caught. That was the punchline for that joke. Okay, that was the funniest joke in the entire movie. When they're behind the rock and the two KKK guys are there <laughs> and Bart comes out and goes, hey, 
where all the white women at? That's my favorite. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> they were like rush behind the rock to beat this guy and get yeah. the reversal, get bopped, and that's how they try to infiltrate. In terms of like setup and payoff, that was immediate. And that scene was just a, a space for that joke to exist. But the payoff was at the beginning of the joke then. So that's like, what? what's the point of that? So you gave me this opportunity to tell me a joke. You told a joke. I went, Haha, that's funny. And then you continued telling the joke. Shut up. You already got the laugh. I think it's a two part. They got the laugh about like conning the Ku Klux Klan, but then they became the Ku Klux Klan to get in line. That's like a two parter, Craig. But it wasn't funny. I think funny. you're expecting more. Yeah. How dare I expect comedy from a comedy? They're film. allowed to. Craig has spent so much time with me and my beautiful comedy that he just has such <laughs> high expectations from everyone else. I don't know. Comedy is always an unruly beast because for it to be effective, it has to like ride the line, right? And if it's riding the line and possibly, well, actually crossing the line in 1974, then to view it from this perspective, obviously you're, it's going to be out of touch. And to view something like this, you have to kind of understand where it came from and view it as like a piece of cinema history and not necessarily as a something tailored to your modern taste. So somebody who lived in that decade, this was not considered funny. The jokes they made in there was not what, it was just for shock value. It was mean and stupid. Yeah, that's all it was. The, every joke was just, look, I, oh, I can't believe he said that. Yeah. And that was every joke was, I can't believe he said that. And it was funny the first couple of times, but holy crap, it was like an hour and a half of I can't believe he said that no but the whole point is that it's like these people are so absurd and so cruel to these black people that it makes you realize how absurd the idea of racism is in the first place yeah and I got that in the first 20 minutes and when Richard Pryor wrote it, he allowed the word in there because he got a lot of pushback from the actors. And he said in the 1800s, this would have been what was said. So it makes it more historically accurate for the time. Yeah. So that gives some of the African-American stuff a pass. Yeah. But the Pryor and Little both advocated for the use of it. Yeah, it's great that it's in there and it probably should have been in there. But it didn't. Okay, well, but that's that's what I'm saying. That's okay. But did they have somebody who was gay? No. On the writer's staff that that thought that that horrendous fucking scene with the dancers was did they did, did they put their stamp of approval on it? It was awful. No, and we acknowledge that. We understand that. Well, we think the commentary in one element is well. It's two steps forward, like whatever. Two steps back, however many you want to take. My big problem with this is making racism or homophobia or whatever this ridiculous allows your everyday run-of-the-mill racists to go, oh, I'm not like that. That's too much. This is, oh, yeah, you've, you've turned them into some ridiculous character that, so my daughter can't date a black guy, but I would never say something like that to their face. This is just, it's taking it to the extreme and it gives people who think that way a pass because they're not at that ridiculous level. I understand your point, Chris. I, I think I, I kind of get it. A person might be like, I'd never call a black guy the N-word, but I certainly wouldn't give him a job. I can't wait for that to get clipped out of context and I'm going to get canceled <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I get what you're saying, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's because... That's not the mindset I would have. That I, that's not my first intention to view it as such. And I understand where you're coming from, and I see that as as a, as a feasible point. But does it not come back to like what the creator's intention was? No, it doesn't. No, intention means nothing. No, no, no. no like, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Have we had this conversation before? I think intention matters, but it's not the yeah, only not thing at all that matters. And for me, 
the quality of the filmmaking, it didn't tell a cohesive story. The narrative was disjointed and all over the damn place. They started a joke at the beginning. I don't know if you noticed this. They started a joke where every time someone would say Rock Ridge, it would be immediately repeated. Rock Ridge, Rock Ridge, Rock Ridge, Rock Ridge, Rock Ridge. And they just abandoned it halfway through the movie because it was like they realized it wasn't funny. But the whole movie is anachronistic and it's meant to be. So I don't know if it's, I don't know, you just take what you get out of it. Like it's not meant to be a cohesive story. I think that's a cop out. Mel Brooks said that he's intentionally started things and abandoned them as part of the themes of the film. <laughs> so, I mean, whether or not you, whether or not you think it's demented, it may or may not be, but it was by design. What a bad way to make a film. If you want to create this eclectic barrage of nonsense, I think it actually makes that eclectic feeling more prominent. If you're setting up things and then abandoning them halfway, it makes it, it's intentionally disjointed for the sake of whatever, absurdity. That's the whole theme, absurdity. Just because he did it intentionally doesn't mean it was a good decision. I don't think that it helps the ranking on this list. <laughs> you're trying to make a comedy if you're a comic i'm gonna you know give you a little bit of the insight on how to be funny here but what you do is you start telling a joke all right and then you finish the joke and that's how you tell jokes and they didn't do that enough i don't know if you are the person to be telling richard Pryor how to make a joke wasn't he voted like the number one comedian of all time this film is not evidence in his favor not at all so if you want to see absurdity done well you watch money python yeah i agree i love Spaceballs. it's another mel brooks movie so and that has a lot of far more intelligent and refined right this is just a sophomoric attempt at something that he later became better at and i don't like it it's just a lot of shock humor you get a lot of laughs from watching it going oh my god i can't believe they said that yeah for two minutes no well like i said i not not once did i laugh and then by the time you get to the german woman oh my god that was long five minute musical it's all worn off it's not and after that point it's not funny anymore the, the movie stopped being funny at that point they made this whole big thing about her character where she was going to seduce the sheriff and then it ends up she gets she gets played by the sheriff because he's got a big wang and that's the joke and then that's it. That's it for her character. They had her tied up. They could have done the classic throw her on the railroad and have the sheriff have to go rescue her. No, no, they just abandoned the character. It's over. I got what I needed out of her, yeah. Well, so did the sheriff. Yeah, good for him. <laughs> it's not just because he has a big wang. It's because he's a nice guy. And the fight scene at the mm -hmm. end I would have cut it it was fine it did its bit or whatever we all acknowledge that this is the worst part of the movie but honestly <laughs> like you say the jokes ran and then this ran too long this movie is what one hour and 33 minutes really the perfect runtime for this movie is one hour and 30 minutes you make that dance scene three minutes shorter and I wouldn't I wouldn't make it any shorter than that I don't think it needed to be I think it was very concise it did what it wanted to do in its runtime and I honestly didn't feel like there was a single lull in the entire run what? to be honest like really how can that be true Jordan you were just as bad by that Broadway scene as the rest of us. He's gonna cut it. No, no, I said I would make that scene three minutes shorter, but I wouldn't cut the rest of it. I would leave it exactly as is. I thought it was as long as it needed to be and nothing felt drawn out. I spent the entire movie waiting for it to be over. What about that long scene with the governor? That where he had all those yes men in the room. The one guy wasn't even paying attention. That was a long scene that went nowhere too. That was just going to show that the leadership behind mm -hmm. whatever, wherever this place was in the in the West was run by, again, morons, idiots, <laughs> buffoons. That's the whole point of it. That's what, that was a, its intention. The world would be a better place if this movie didn't exist. They kept bringing the character out for, for no reason though. Which character? The governor? The governor. He was in what, like one scene? 
two scenes. Was he the one in the bathtub? No. That would have been Headley. Yeah, that was Headley. I only remember the governor in the one scene where his uh, assistant is out there with her a, a bosom showing. I agree. I would have. I would have also changed that in and hindsight. He comes out from behind the curtains. I don't know. I didn't feel like we saw too much of the governor, and I thought Headley was fine. Headley made me laugh. That scene with the rubber duck. Fucking loved it. You know what? I watched it three more times on YouTube afterwards. No. He's just like stroking it like Schmeagle stroking the ring. And I'm fucking busting laughing here in my room all by myself with this stupid st- uh, stupid rubber frog. Yeah, I don't know. I don't agree with everything Blazing Saddles does, but I feel like writing it out entirely, that's just not how I feel about it. I don't think it's worth writing off entirely. A lot of it, yes. All of it, no. I thought it was great that you have a movie where your protagonist is a black man and his sidekick is a little white guy. Something you haven't really seen a lot of. And yeah, I thought it did handle racism in an interesting way and in that it makes you laugh and it makes you think oh I'm not those white people but then at the same time like, how, what are you doing in your everyday life to make it any better I'd like to make one comment I really agree with the point you had Chris about how someone who is more subtly racist would view this as a justification for themselves and I can't discredit that point but from my perspective that's, that's not how I operate so if I'm just viewing this and taking this in like a closed ecosystem where it's just me and this film then that thought doesn't even cross my mind and so a lot of those hindrances or that ideology wasn't tainting my viewing experience and so I could understand if that's the first thing that came to your mind why you would really dislike this yeah but but the thing is you spent the first 10 minutes of this podcast talking about all the great things it did for race relations and talking about racism and making a caricature out of white racist people and then you just said that you didn't even consider those points (laughs) when judging the movie I still think it builds the discussion. And I think if you're willing to have an intellectual discussion about racism, it, it's an awesome diving board to discuss kind of what's what's wrong with the world if you're willing to be intellectual about it. So the problem is for people who aren't racist, this will not help at all. And for people who are racist, they can use it as a tool to say, yeah, I mean, I might not let my daughter date the guy, but at least I don't call him the end. Oh, I don't agree even a little. But there's no harm in having a discussion about modern race relations even amongst people who aren't racist. But that's not what this was. That Trying to put that on there is... I mean, you can agree to disagree, it doesn't. but I... It's... <sighs> I don't think that this movie triggers a good modern discussion. If we were going to do a discussion on race relations, would this be the movie you'd pick? No. no. Right. But we didn't pick it. It's just mean and stupid. We're trying to pull out why we think it made this top 100 list. Uh, Because people are idiots? I think it made the top 100 list because people think it's funny. I disagree. I don't think it's that funny. To me, the the fact that people find this funny is disturbing. Ah, it's funny as fuck. Last night, I stayed up till one in the morning watching specifically black people react to scenes from Blazing Saddles for the first time. And you know what they all said? This is funny as fuck. And they laughed and they got it right away. They understood what the intention was. It seems like it was written by a black man for a black audience. And that's good because like Dave Chappelle is funny AF. But I don't think that this movie was funny. It was funny for like the first 10 minutes. And then I was like, okay, I get it. And that's fair. No froggy, Craig? <laughs> the frog at the frog scene. Again, the frog <laughs> scene was funny the first time when he was like, oh, where's my rubber frog? And then it carried on for like, where is it? Where is it? It's got to be around here. Oh, there he is over there. Go get me my rubber frog. The clip frog. on YouTube oh, is 44 seconds frog, long, Craig. The clip like, is 44 seconds smokes. long. You cannot tell me it is too long. 44 seconds. And 44 seconds, including the time that Lamar grabbed the dude's junk, which wasn't even the funny part of the scene. The froggy scene, or the funny part of the scene was only 20 seconds long. So it was 20 seconds of watching a grown man freak out because he can't find his rubber frog. Yeah, I loved it. That's not loved that it. funny. It is. It is. 
All right. Do we want to talk about some characters? I was just going to say only one joke was cut from the whole movie. And it was the scene where Black Bart and Lily Von Stupp are together and the lights are out. And she's like, it's true. It's true. And he was supposed to have said, but you're sucking on my arm. And that was the only thing that didn't make it. So I thought that was weird that that's the line (laughs) they drew. I feel like that would have fit right in with the rest of it. I think it's interesting that Brooks pinpointed that as where the line was because Mm -hmm. seemed on brand for the rest of it. I feel like they could have afforded to cut 20 or 30 more jokes. I'm gonna cut you. Did you say you're gonna cut me? (laughs) Bart, what do we guys think of Bart? I liked Bart. I thought he was funny. I think it carries a lot of the movie, especially Cleveland Little's performance. He's just this normal, charismatic dude going about his job, trying to live his life, get people to like him. And his response to a lot of the racism, I think, is what sets it up to be so absurd. He's like, guys, I'm just trying to do a job here. I'm just trying to protect you. I don't know. See, this is unfortunate because I thought about how I, why I like this character before I was attacked so viciously. I just think his everyday kind of perspective on the situation is what really roots the racist themes in this movie as so absurd. And you can definitely disagree with it, but that's why I thought Bart's performance in particular stood out as a cornerstone of why this movie works for me and why a lot of it's funny. Well, he's the lead and he did an excellent job with his lead role. His best scene, in my opinion, is towards the beginning of the movie where everyone's got a gun to his head and he puts his own gun to his head. And he's like, nobody move or the sheriff gets it. And they're like, he's not messing around, boys. <laughs> and he, he holds himself hostage and then takes himself yeah. over to the jail. I I thought that was really well done. The joke was friggin' hilarious. I think that was my least favorite joke from Oh, really? I thought it was hilarious, man. I don't think it was out of place or anything like that. I just thought if their intention was to kill him anyway, (laughs) why are they concerned? And it's funny, he's a guy who's on this railroad group and he attacks his boss and so he's sentenced to death. So he's a criminal and they send him to be a sheriff and he's the nicest guy. He just, he actually tries to help out the town. He was wronged on the railroad. That's why he was always a nice guy but this motherfucker threw the lasso in to rescue the cart yeah. and left poor bart in there that guy had a shovel coming to him. that guy had the shovel coming to him and bart knew what was right yeah that guy deserved a clonking he was good he's fine he's just an everyman yeah he was very much one of those characters that i think you're intended to put your own face on he was definitely an everyman to identify with the main character yes for sure he was the eye guy 100 percent. i think it's interesting that richard Pryor was the first in line for this role and mel brooks went to studios begging for them to approve it but they couldn't insure him because he had a history of drug crime cocaine cocaine he couldn't get the role he wrote the movie probably wrote this role for himself couldn't even get it and so I just think it's great that the Cleavon Little did such a good job considering like he wasn't even the first choice or it wasn't written for him and he kind of stepped in close to the end and just killed it. What about our boy, the Waco Kid, a.k.a. Jim? The fastest gun in the world. I thought Gene Wilder was really funny. Even just from his first scene where he's upside down from the bed. Are we black? Like that was funny. (laughs) I like it. Even though it's really tropey, I know a lot of this movie is very tropey, but gunman turned alcoholic, hangs up his pistols or whatever, and then gets a cause to come back out of retirement and do some good for the society. Normally, I would be like, mm, this is too cliche. I don't know if I'm into it, but I think I ju- it's just because I simp so hard for Gene Wilder that I would watch him in, in basically anything and just enjoy it. So I don't even know if I could really critique Jim because I'm just, I'm just there for it. He had some great lines in this movie. One of my favorite ones was when Bart asked him, do you need some help? And he said, all I can get. <laughs> you know, I, I take it back. The, the relationship between those two and the humor between them was actually pretty good. Because they're the only normal people 
in the film or whatever. And it's kind of like them against this mm-hmm. yeah, this batshit crazy world. My favorite gag, not my favorite gag, but one of my favorite gags in the movie was the chess scene. I love that. Grab it when I say go. And he's standing about two meters away. Doesn't move a single bit and then pulls it out of his holster. I love that. And that was actually a scene in SpongeBob SquarePants that I really enjoyed and didn't even understand that it was an homage to Blazing Saddles until yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> he becomes a superhero and he has super speed and he goes, yo, you want to see me run to that rock and back? You want to see me do it again? And the frame doesn't move at all. And yeah, it was a Blazing Saddles joke. See, that's the thing. Like, this is why this is list is so fun to go through is because there's so much of this crap littered in all of our pop culture. And so, heck, even if I didn't enjoy this movie, at least I'd learn a little bit about its influence on some kind of media later on, even, even if it's kids media. It's SpongeBob. Even if it's SpongeBob. <laughs> well, even the joke about his hand, like you could see that one coming. Like when he's like, well, it's so steady. And then his other one was like this. I still laughed. The delivery was excellent. It's shit like that, Craig. Like, that wasn't funny. That wasn't good. Yeah, that was funny. That's why I said. This movie is peaks and valleys. There are some moments that I found very funny. And then there were there was half the film that I was like, what am I doing watching this thing? 90% of the film? You think 90? I don't know. I would say half the jokes didn't land for me. I just found so much of it so off-putting. Yeah, it already had soured the mood for you. So you weren't in a mood to giggle anyway. I think it's interesting that Cleavon Little was the second choice and comes in, and then you have your your second star here, who was actually a third choice. The role was originally designed for John Wayne, but he didn't want anything to do with it because it was so crude for his more family-friendly image. Then they brought in Gig Young, who collapsed during the first scene of filming from alcohol withdrawal. And I thought, hey, that's really clever casting get the alcoholic to play the alcoholic. But hey, in showbiz, sometimes that don't work out so good. And so Gene Wilder was brought out as like an emergency replacement. And so you've got Cleavon and Gene Wilder who just get brought in at the last minute to fill these roles in this film that turns out to be huge. And it's their chemistry that really solidifies a lot of why people like this film. The only main comment I have is we didn't get a lot of character development from Bart. We get a little bit more from Jim because he finds his purpose, but Bart seems very consistent throughout the entire thing. (laughs) I know what your answer is going to be, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Were you at all upset by a lack of character development within Blazing Saddles? No, because I was not expecting any. He was brought into this town to do a job. He did it surprisingly well, and he's ready to move on to the next place. (laughs) I don't need more. That's not true. That's not true. The reason why I give the the character development a pass is because I feel like it developed the entire town of Rockridge. They start out as someone who loathes this black man trying to run the show. And by the end of it, they don't see him as a black person. They see him just as a person. They don't want him to leave. They're like, no, we've developed this relationship with you we we learned a little bit we grew we, we bridged a little bit of that gap between the blacks and the whites in this society and that's the growth that comes out of it this film failed to tell a cohesive story from start to finish so i'm not irritated that one character didn't get character development because nothing got any development it's literally in the theme song i wrote down the lyrics where is it the theme song was a banger oh my god the title track literally starts out and one of the first lines is he conquered fear and hate turned day into night made a blazing saddle his torch to light the way. Bart's journey was set from the beginning and he was going to conquer hatred and build this bridge as foretold in this prophecy, this song, whatever, this setup. That's exactly what it goes and does. 
that sounds pretty cohesive to me. I don't know. They definitely didn't write the theme song when they, uh, close to the end of the movie. Definitely was him first. It doesn't even matter. It acts as a perfect link from the beginning of the film to the end of the film to at least establish some sense of cohesive storytelling. Except if you want to include, <laughs> if you want to include LGBTQ people or Irish people or like, there was a point in the film where they specifically said, but we don't want the fucking Irish. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> the point is, is that they finally get over hating black people and so they just reassign the target to Ireland. I don't think they got over hating black people. I think they begrudgingly accepted them as part of their community because the alternative was to lose everything and die. Is that not the 21st century? No, because even after they win, they don't want them to leave. <laughs> okay. I hope it's not the 21st century. What happened in January? 21st century. We're not really any better. We just know how to hide it better. 100% agree. Uh, do you guys have any other characters you want to talk about before we move on to music? Or any moments in the film you want to talk about that stood out as particularly heinous or particularly enjoyable? We should probably talk about Headley. He was the main antagonist. He had some funny moments. He drove the story along as much as he could, such that it was. Basically, he wanted to own Rock Ridge. He wanted to steal Rock Ridge because there was going to be a railroad going through there and then the land would be worth all kinds of cash. And then he hired a bunch of goons to do it and they failed. The end. That's why I thought it overall was a cohesive storyline. Like it had the plot that they were trying to foil the railroad coming through and everything around that was based on that. The ending though, it, it didn't come around. It didn't end. Yeah, they couldn't build the railroad through there. They couldn't move the town. They chased him into real life. They chased him into a movie theater. Like, what the fuck? It they did. chased him into the movie theater so they could watch the <laughs> movie and find out how it ended. Much. That's literally what happened. <laughs> Don't read into it too much. And then when they drove off into the sunset, like they were riding away, then they got off and got into the car. It's funny. It's funny. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> I think that would have been funnier for me if I hadn't already seen Monty Python and the Quest for the Holy Grail, where the ending is... Absolutely. Also, spoilers, Sarah hasn't seen it and it's on this list. Wow. I don't know what to tell you. That's how it ends. Real life. And that came out one year after this, so this movie did it first. So the fact that you had seen it first is irrelevant. Actually, I think I saw Blazing Saddles <laughs> first, but I saw Blazing Saddles when I was way too young to have watched Blazing Saddles. I don't know. Kids are like sponges. If I gave this to a child, that I, a child I don't have, but if I did have one, I would be paranoid that we'd be blurting out certain end bombs in a grocery store. I thought the villain was just as evil as they needed to be. I thought if you wrote this complex backstory for this villain, you would really detract from what the focal point of the story was. All of this madness, all of this craziness. If you're going to develop a real backstory for this guy and like make people connect with him, I feel like you're really wasting their time when the focus is the absurdity. So I didn't have any issues with that. I just wanted to make a point of it because I normally complain about lack of character development in villains. And this is one of the only times where I'll say, I don't think it mattered. I think it's okay. I think enough development happened and I think the focus should have been placed elsewhere. So I wasn't missing that development. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about music, guys? I mean, there's only one thing to say. Theme song was awesome. Yeah, this was a banger. Yeah. This was good. This was Slumdog Tier soundtrack. <laughs> S tier. It's a certified banger. The title track is so good. It comes in with this epic flourish, slips right into the Western vibes. You hear that the whip cracks. It's corny as hell, but this whole song is so unapologetically cheesy. And this whole movie is so fucking stupid in the first place that it fits mm -hmm. right in. And ah, I don't know. It's silly. It's fun. It gets you hyped. It sets that prologue for the film. And then you move on to the next song. You get the Ballad of Rockridge. It's catchy. It's silly. It's fun. This whole soundtrack is banger after banger after banger. And I think it's easy to do that because it's so short. It does have that black smudge on it. The I'm tired song. It could be deleted from history and the world would be better for it. But... <sighs> Yeah. I think a lot of this music was far better than most of the music we have seen representing films on this list so far. Chris, did you at least enjoy the music? 
No, not even a little. I'm actually not even surprised at all. I don't even like country, but I just, I was feeling the vibes. <laughs> I thought that theme song was good. Uh, and the problem with it was that it set the tone to be so great. And then like right out of the <laughs> gate, there's a guy faints on the railroad and they say, dock that slanderous word for an Asian person, a day's pay for sleeping on the job. And I was like, Jesus Christ, right out of the gate, they're hitting us with both barrels. I liked the theme song too and I liked the Ballad of Rock Ridge because they both gave us enough background of what was happening so we didn't need the screen time to fill it in like we were that brought us up to speed for both so I thought that was a clever way to do it. I agree and it was an entertaining way to provide exposition. The age-old thing in film, tell don't show. No but you can tell so long as it's a banger. You can tell in the form of a banger. If you're not gonna show it, present with good tunes. Jordan certified. That's the caveat. That's the rule. That's the why is sometimes a vowel it's sometimes okay to tell so long as you've got a thump and banjo line ripping through it i liked it i wouldn't have wanted this movie to be any longer so i was thankful for the songs all right do you guys want to rank this film let's start with chris chris where are you gonna put this movie you really want me to go first yeah i do well wait before chris ranks it do we think chris will put it lower than deer hunter yes yeah yeah he's definitely gonna put it below deer hunter So I've been struggling with the ultimate place for this on the list and it's tied for last place, but I'm actually putting (laughs) one higher than Deer Hunter. Wow. (laughs) So Deer Hunter still, nothing has knocked it off its its rightful place at the end. That's shocking. Like it's it's not because one is better than the other. It's just that I think I hated Deer Hunter more. It was longer. I just want the meme to die. So I was hoping Chris would put Blazing Saddles underneath it. When I think about it the wedding scene is enough to keep the it, the fact that i'm tired was only five <laughs> minutes long instead of 45 minutes long <laughs> is probably why i ultimately put it above deer hunter they both suck but deer hunter was in last first so it gets priority <laughs> that was the longest hour 33 of my life i'm not kidding we're sitting there watching the movie i'm like how much more is left it was the longest five minutes of my life i was giggling the whole time you're probably yeah, looking over like, what can i use in the kitchen to stab this motherfucker if i had to erase two movies from existence this is the one i'd like to not exist why don't you put it lower than deer hunter deer hunter doesn't hurt anything i feel like this actually does just but deer it, yeah. i just don't know deer. maybe i do need to <laughs> i get it yeah i think i just convinced myself it is it's worse yeah i think if the movie that gets a race has to be on the bottom i wish this movie never existed craig we're gonna put Is this how we're doing this? We're going to go rank them from bottom to top? Yeah. Like, I got to tell you, this movie bored me. It wasn't as funny as it said it was on the label. Everyone talks about this movie being some great comedy, and half the jokes just got ignored. They just got forgotten about, and there was never a punchline. Chekhov's gun sat on the table and never got fired for half the damn jokes. So I'm putting this at number 25 below airplane and above only, and I feel bad about this because this means both Gene Wilder movies are at the bottom of my list bonnie and clyde <laughs> fucking Jordan's bastard number one movie <laughs> see the problem is Chekhov wasn't in this movie this was this this film technique we call it the waco gun <laughs> in which nothing gets used that was a better joke than any of the jokes you just stole my line <laughs> i was i was gonna say that thank you where are you going to pop this bad boy, Sarah? I compared this to Airplane and Ghostbusters. And Airplane, I did not find a cohesive storyline in it. And I thought this one did have a better story. And then Ghostbusters physically made my skin crawl. So <laughs> I'm ranking this at 14th below Inception and above Bonnie and Clyde. I'm keeping my Gene Wilder movies together. That's interesting. This entire movie made my skin crawl. 
I will not be keeping my Gene Wilder movies together. I'm gonna put this bad boy at nine underneath Dr. Zhivago and above Slumdog Millionaire because we keeping bangers together, boys. <laughs> I mean, and Sarah. <laughs> if this is just a playlist. It's a playlist. His, his ranking is just a, a soundtrack playlist. No, 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 no. 12 Angry Men is at four. That has no music. Well, it has no bangers. Two minutes of music. Yeah, it doesn't have any bangers. But it was a, in itself a visual banger. A no, no, no. I don't want to call it a visual banger. I want to call it a narrative banger. Nice. What are we going to be watching in episode 28 of Popcorn Peeps? Uh, hopefully a palate cleanser of 1976 All the President's Men. You can find that on Crave Stars and Stars Prime if you already have those subscriptions and then all the other usual suspects if you want to rent or buy. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out our Patreon. Your patronage is always appreciated, but never required. Without further ado, we would like to thank Jim Walmsley, Ryan Saarinen, Travis Laporte, Frank Costa, Sarah Renier, Erica Wilson, Tyler Laporte, Paul's <laughs> 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 Johnson, <laughs> Luke at my ass, <laughs> Luke at my ass, <laughs> dick my butt. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the show, guys. We'll see you in episode 28. Until then, have a great night, afternoon, evening, or whenever you're listening. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.